Hey guys, I was thinking maybe we should look at, you know, changing the system we're using for our next game session. Oh, you uh you don't like 5e anymore? No, it's no, it's not that. I just want to do something like really different, you know. Ah, ah, say no more. You're welcome to borrow my D&D 3.5 source books. I've got all of them. I had to buy like two more bookshelves to accommodate all of them. You know, I was looking for something like really different though, like a significant change from where we're currently at. Oh, okay, okay, got it. So you're wanting to venture into the land of Thacko with AD&D, right? Nope, still way off target. Huh. Well, I have, uh, I've been trying to avoid saying this. I, I didn't even know if I was allowed to say it, but, but here it goes. Fourth edition? This time on Becoming DM, we're going to talk about playing something different. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And that's right, we're going to talk about what we don't usually talk about, something other than D&D, because, I mean, you may not believe it, but D&D is not the only tabletop role-playing game out there, right? <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, it's not. There's actually so many of them, more than I could possibly name or afford. <laughs> yeah, um, we talk a lot about D&D and about Pathfinder on this show because, by and large, they have the the lion's share of, uh, of, uh, of the player market. base. Oh, yeah, okay, the, yeah, the market, the player base, the market, however you want to call it. So when people are looking for a game, especially if they're new to the game, those are the games that are going to typically come up. But there's all sorts of other types of games that are that are great. Um, I've played a number of games through my my gaming history. Um, in fact, I didn't play D anD D or Pathfinder for a very long time, and only came back to it about oh seven seven years ago or so. Oh wow, um, that's that's impressive for me. I've basically always played D anD D. Took a little bit of time into Pathfinder, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, I've got. Six other systems on my shelf, uh, but we'll talk about those in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so you may get to a point in your in your uh, gaming hobby that you you say, "Hey, I I I want to consider uh, a different game," and that's really what the focus of this episode is about is is kind of what things you need to really think about when it comes to being time to play a new game for instance so we're going to talk a lot about um the the whys as well as what to consider when you're looking at new games Uh, we've we've kind of toyed with the idea and i'd love to hear back from the audience uh go to go to our website becomingdm.com and click on contact we've kind of been toying with the idea of maybe having an every so often uh series where we talk about a new system and uh'd love to hear your thoughts on that if it's something that you would uh you'd be interested in hearing us talk about or not, yeah, and it doesn't even need to be a new system like new to new to us because what's right. uh 'cause your your big system you started off with Star- so I started off with like with like the basic set for d and d but but when I moved outside of 
D&D land. I played a lot. I would say the one that I probably ended up playing most was the original West End Games version of Star Wars, uh, which I, I think is probably still one of my favorite role-playing games that's out there. Oh, well, that's fair. So let's go ahead and dig down into the topic a little bit. And I think the first thing that we really need to talk about is is why. Why are you considering playing a different system? Because the why is going to inform us for a lot of the things that we need to be considering as we start looking at new systems. Because if we're just if we're just moving for for boredom, that's going to be a different search than if we're doing something for uh, completely different game rules that we need to have. And and that's actually one of the common reasons is uh, maybe we're having to customize our system too much for the type of game that we want to play. Uh, and what are some of the reasons that we might be customizing the game, Danielle? Well, a number of different reasons. I've heard um, somebody play that, or some, sorry, somebody say that uh, D&D and Pathfinder were way too rules heavy for them. And mm-hmm. they just wanted something that was just a lot less complex, something that everybody had to remember, like four rules, and it was predominantly just role play. And I'm not even sure if there were dice involved when they were explaining it to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got confused, but that's coming from my place of, of a D&D for my entire life. But uh, another reason is is you cannot be gritty enough. Like you can get those... Uh, Ah, uh, you know, like the Cthulhu games, um, mm-hmm. and everything's super scary. Or the verses of that is not goofy enough, you know, where you just want a game where I don't know your primary attack is throwing pudding. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and while you could do that with D and D, it would be it would be a pretty <laughs> would be a fairly significant rules change. But but there are there are folks that want to play a, a really goofy game where they don't want the rules to get so much in the way, and so um, the the rules may be more basic. And and for for the gritty games, it could be that we want to have different kinds of rules rather than necessarily being more rules light or more rules heavy. Uh, we want to have where where death is a is a significant reality and likely to happen in every session that you have. Uh, rather than in D and D right now, where yes, it's possible to die, but it's a, it's a lot less likely um, in in fifth edition uh, for you to to die going dungeon diving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I heard one person tell me about a system that they were playing where the intent was for you to die. The only way for you to level up essentially was to die. It was uh, <laughs> super space aged, and so when you died. You got brought back into like the mechanic shop or whatever, and they just upgraded you with the most recent technology kind of thing. So you're a robot. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but so if you like, that's not you can mash D and D into that shape, but sometimes it's just easier uh, to just get a new system. And the other thing is like with that particular system, you're a robot. You're in space. Um, that's Again, that's pretty difficult to do with D&D if you want the whole spaceship thing, unless you're going for like a time traveler, barbarian on a spaceship sort of idea. Yep. And that kind of gets to the themes, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, when we're when we're talking about rules, one last thing. Mm-hmm. We talked back in episode 18, uh, becomingdm.com slash EP18 about playing running games for kids. And one of the things that we suggested back then was that depending upon the age of your kids, you might have to have a more rules-like game. 
rather than you making the the rules more light, you could also find a system that is more geared towards having kids play it that is rules light on its own and and gets mm-hmm. them more more in there. So that's again, instead of instead of making it yourself, somebody else out there has made it as well. <laughs> that's a nice thing. It's like why put in all that extra legwork when there's a really good chance that the system does exist. It's just out there. Uh, but moving on to to themes, because sometimes the theme for for the role playing game doesn't work. And and Danielle, you mentioned um, adventures in space, and that's I think a a big thing um, in the role playing world outside of D anD D is is those adventures in space. And yes, I know that um, that D anD D has Spelljammer, and whether you like the new rules or not. Spelljammer really is, it's like, it's D&D in space. If you want something that's more <laughs> futuristic, that you want to feel like you are in a sci-fi movie, Spelljammer is really not going to, to necessarily fill that void. I don't, I, I personally don't feel. I've honestly never heard of Spelljammer. So it's something that I'm going to have to look up because I don't, I don't know what that is. Yeah, so Spelljammer was originally released, I think, around the time of second edition AD and D. I had uh. the box set for it at that time and, and played it. It was fun, and then uh, very recently, within the last couple of months, they re-released it for five E and have like two or three source books that come together in a box set if you want them. Uh, I haven't looked into it in the new edition so much. I've heard. Uh, good and bad feedback about it. So I, okay. I, I don't know how good it is. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, so obviously if you're, if you're heading to space, then Spelljammer might be an option. Um, things like that. My, my thing, the reason why I have bought additional source books is because I want to do post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I don't know why, but in my brain, I just love this setting idea. And I've tried to figure out how to do it with D&D, and there's just so much work to it. Um, so I just went and bought a different system. <laughs> it makes me chuckle that you want to run post-apocalyptic, but you also don't like scary, because those two things go hand in hand in a lot of cases. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I am with you on the, I, I like post-apocalyptic fiction. I have bought a couple of systems myself, uh, Apocalypse World and uh, Into the World, uh, Zombies, and a couple of others that um, I haven't gotten the chance to play yet because I've bought them within the last six to 12 months, and that's just how it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I I bought them because I didn't really see... D&D and Pathfinder being a great matchup for some of the themes that you get with a post-apocalyptic game. Yeah, it's just it's just a little bit different. And when you look at the difference in, in the rules and stuff that you need to change between the two of them, yes, it can still function. But if you buy, like D&D uh, counts as a D20 system, right? Where your primary die is your D20. And so you can just buy a D20 system that's post-apocalyptic or Western or whatever. And I I feel like that would limit some of the learning curve. Yep. And, and, and kind of along that post-apocalyptic, maybe you want to want to dial back on the post-apocalyptic, but you still want a modern setting. Uh, again, K- 
can do it with D&D. It's a little bit more difficult, I feel. Uh, there are other systems that, that are set in modern times and have a variety of themes with them from vampires and werewolves to superheroes to just a bunch of people trying to live their day. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's lots of things out there. Um, other kind of themes that I've, I've seen people maybe look at switching systems for are underwater or seafaring adventures. I know that they've got, um, I guess it's the Sword Coast source book for D&D that adds in some some seafaring rules. But again, if you're not wanting to, to layer on those things, you could you could go towards a system that is geared towards that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And the nice part is, is that if the system is built around the theme, they they mesh well, right? And you can kind of get it a little bit more cohesive. I found sometimes I've tried to put things into D&D that aren't like naturally part of like the medieval kind of setting. And uh, as much as you can make it happen, there's like an upset. I don't know how to describe it, but it just it feels slightly less natural. Whatever, as we said, there's there's ways to modify these things, but sometimes it just doesn't work out as well. Sometimes it's a lot easier to to move on with a with a different system. Uh, another reason that you might want to be considering something is just you're tired of playing the same system. You played maybe you've played D and D for the past three years, and you've got a weekly game, and you're just like, guys, I'm I'm tired of killing orcs. Let's uh, <laughs> let. Let's figure something else out. We're gonna do we're gonna do forty k and kill space orcs. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but but it, getting tired of system is a perfectly legitimate reason to look at something else. And um, and I will say that when I was a kid, this was probably the biggest reason that we would change uh, change systems. The reason that we tried so many different games was we would try something, we would play it, and somebody would get bored of it, and they'd bring something new to the table, and we'd try that, and we'd play it, and somebody would get bored of it. And it was this kind of <laughs> uh, this cycle that kind of fed itself because everybody that we had four or five kids at the game at the table, and so every five, six months, we would try something new. So everybody was bringing their own stuff. So we did uh, everything from, as, as I mentioned, the, the West End Star Wars, Robotech, uh, we did some uh, spy games, uh, Top Secret. That was what it was called, and just oh, that sounds every fun. time. Every time we turned around, there was something new going on because we were all just uh, kids with apparently low attention spans <laughs> <laughs> and the free time to read all those rules. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I mean, if you had, if you've got a group that multiple people are running games, then somebody can bring it and they can read the rules and explain it to the rest of the rest of the group too. So it's also a good way for swapping out uh, DMs for a game and saying, all right, you want to play something? You want to run the game? Great. You pick a, pick a new system to run. Or you want to run a new system? Great. Figure out how to run it and then run it for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Another reason could be just you want something that that uses magic differently, doesn't have magic, uh, way more heavily dependent on technology. This kind of goes back to theme, but you could have games that that are thematically very similar to D&D, but they just treat magic in a different way. Oh, yeah. I don't think I've heard of one like that. I'm not saying that one doesn't exist out there, but that would be interesting. 
I saw some discussions around um, the magic um, theory that that D and D is based on, and the fact that they're one, and there's other systems based on the another another theory of magic. And I wish I would remember all of the different <laughs> names that they had because it would be cool to bring them up now. But I, I just I cannot remember them at this point. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, but like I've seen I've seen different. Uh, uh, origins of the magic of a planet in like movies and stuff, and so it makes mm-hmm. sense that you would find a similar thing with uh, with different uh, tabletop role playing games. Yep, I-, I think once you have understood the why of of why you're changing, it is good to ask yourself: Is the change really necessary for your why? Because Let's be honest. It's not just a matter of you pick up a book and suddenly you're playing a new game. There is effort. There is there's money. There's all sorts of things that are involved in order to change out that system. So you do want to make sure that that your why does support um, to support the change. So um, what are some things that you can you can consider when you're when you're making sure that it's absolutely necessary to make this change, Danielle? I think one of the one of the bigger things is um, I think you can kind of start feeling bored with a system because um, I've found myself in that position before, hence why I started daydreaming about uh, the post-apocalyptic stuff. And <laughs> you, you're just kind of feeling bored with it. You're like, oh, I need a change. I need a change. Um, but in I, for myself, I found that I kept thinking I need a change. I need a change. And in my head, I kept blaming it on the system. And uh, but push comes to shove, it actually just came down to the fact that I needed a break, right? I was yep. just I was getting tired. Um, I was putting a lot of effort in. We had a lot of you know stuff going on, and uh, and that can definitely be a part of it. And so it's a really good question to ask yourself: is maybe maybe you do want a new system, or maybe you just need to like have a vacation from uh, Greyhawk? I don't know. Yeah, and this this may be a matter of maybe it's time to have somebody else take the reins as a DM for a little while. Maybe it's just time for you to take a step back from role playing games for a little bit and, and recharge. Or or maybe it's time to play a board game with with your friends, um, something that requires a little bit less effort. And we talked a little bit about identifying DM burnout as well as uh, potential resolutions and things to do about it back in episode 40. So becomingdm.com slash EP40 if you're interested in taking a listen. But whatever the reason is, if you are on the edge of burnout or you're in the middle of burnout, getting a new system is is really just putting <laughs> more on your plate and it will, it will only make it worse. <laughs> yeah, you'll just end up with unopened books on your shelf. <clears throat> you you say that like you know that (laughs) i open them once or twice um (laughs) the other things that uh or at least thing that uh, can cause you to consider is because you actually need it we we were talking about before um the difference in themes and and mechanics and stuff and so you know, maybe what you're trying to do just isn't going to fit into D&D, or maybe you can make it fit. Um, as I had mentioned before, I said about sometimes um, basically mashing D&D into the cookie cutter that I wanted it to fit in, but it didn't mm-hmm. feel quite as organic. But at the same time, that was for like one, I don't know, it was like three sessions, I guess, for like one little leg of the adventure. 
And for me to have made it, like forced everybody to switch systems mid campaign, that uh, that didn't make sense. And so having everything be a little bit less organic and just kind of shoving it into the D and D mold and making it work um, functioned for me. Um, so sometimes it's it might not be worth learning a new system. If yeah, that's kind it's, of what it is. It is really important to consider what your timeline is for what the need is. If this is a if this is a quote unquote need move where where we need different rule sets or whatever, um, if you only need it for a couple of sessions, well, it probably makes more sense to just make something up to 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 suffice the need for now than it does to completely switch systems. Uh, unless this is some sort of longer term goal where the need triggered the, the, the move to a new system on a more permanent basis. Mm-hmm. Or the other thing you can do is if you do happen to have those once or twice cracked books on your shelf, you can go through there and maybe swipe a couple rules and just embed mm-hmm. them into your campaign for a little bit. Again, saving yourself a bunch of work and figuring out, um, you know, it's like, how do you stat a boat? I don't know. <laughs> I got a book that tells me how to stat a boat, and so well, and and if you are if you're doing something like adding in naval or space combat or whatever, the nice thing about it is when when you, when you compare it to your pre existing D and D rules, if you slam in somebody else's uh, naval combat rules, it really doesn't impact the overall gameplay of of the rest of the game. This is what happens when you're on the boat, and when you're off the boat, we're in regular rules land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you could do that too. Absolutely. Although, I'm not going to lie, I'm just going to interject here. Talking about like the space versions versus the boat versions versus medieval, it's kind of making me want to have like an alien ship land in like medieval times. There you go. It's some... You yeah. can even have some time travel involved in it. It's not an alien ship, but it's from the future. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Another thing to uh, to understand if it's really necessary is if you make a change, are the players at your table on board for needing to learn a new game? Because if they're not, then you're probably going to need to find a new table full of players. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. It, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and and likewise, are are you the DM on board for learning a new game? Because it is it is a time commitment. It is something that you have to say, yes, this is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn the rules well enough that I can run this game and do it in a way that the players are are excited about what we're doing rather than having to look up rules every 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And the verses to that is it also depends on your group. When we first started playing D&D, obviously we were a bit younger, but we didn't quite understand all of the rules. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. We, we learned the rules for D&D over the course of like two years playing every Friday. Um <laughs> Right, which is a really long time. It's just one day somebody comes in and they're like, hey, so I was looking at the book and we've been doing this wrong for so long. And uh, everybody just kind of adapted. And so if you have a group that's more chill with that, you d- you might not have to memorize the entire rule book from top to bottom right. and just be like, okay, this is the basics of what it is. This is kind of what I know I read through at once and uh, and just kind of move on from there and let it be a kind of add to the adventure of the whole thing. Everybody can learn together. 
Yeah, makes sense. Um, I, that if you've got a group that is, I, I think that, I think that the experience level of everybody at the table probably being close to one another helps with that. Because mm-hmm. if you've got somebody that is really experienced with tabletop role playing games and a bunch of other fair, fairly new people then it can be very frustrating to that really new person because, ah, you should know the rules by now kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I think if everybody is is of roughly the same experience level, they're all bought into the same path, like, hey, we're learning a new game and it's going to take time and we're all going to learn it together, then I think it's it's not as big a problem. Yeah, Absolutely. Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com slash ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so I think we've we've delved into the why uh, enough. Let's let's maybe talk about... um, now that we are certain that we're switching games, um, we are, we're going to look at the systems that are out there, but we need to understand what we should consider when, we, uh, when we're looking at systems. And I think that the big first important piece of any of these systems, when, before you even start looking at them, as the DM, if you're the one that, that, is, that is going to be responsible financially for this, is what is your budget? Oh, yes. Um, because this hobby is not cheap, uh, <laughs> especially if you're a DM. I mean, you've got books that are 40, 50, even more uh, yeah. bucks. That, that and, and if you're looking at a new system, you also need to understand, what am I going to need from that system? Is it one book? Is it 20? Because uh, <laughs> those costs add up, add up really quick, right? Oh, they absolutely do. Like, if you want to play, I think it's like GURPS. That's like three books or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but if you decide to, you want to try 3.5, but you want all the books, right? Uh, number one, that's not going to happen. They're really, really hard to find. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's there's so many books for 3.5. And so you kind of have to get, a, get an eye for the system. Now, that's not saying you have to buy every book to a system in order to start with, with any of these games. There's usually one to three core books, um, possibly even smaller than a book that you actually need to grab but every like you have to look into it because all of it's going to be a cost to you unless you um venmo your players that's that's yeah they venmo you they venmo you (laughs) i don't actually know how venmo works i'm using like a tv (laughs) reference here (laughs) well regardless it it does help to understand what those costs are going to be because whether it's whether it's one book or ten there is a cost associated with it. So you need to understand what you're willing to put forth as, as part of this effort. And it, it also helps as you're looking through systems, 
to determine what you want to have because you'll very quickly be able to say, I can't do this one because the books are ridiculously expensive. I need to buy, I need to buy two, but they're so expensive. I, I can't, I can only afford one. Um, so I need to move on. So rather than getting enamored by, by some really cool system and then finding out you can't afford it, just figure out if you can afford it first and then move from there. Mm-hmm. Or see if your players will help out. Yep. Um, next thing to, to understand, Danielle mentioned the, the D20 system. Um, do you want a D20 based system or are you okay with something else? Because if you have a D20 based system, um, it's it, players are probably going to be more familiar with how to how, with how they kind of roughly work, right? Yeah, and that's the nicest part about switching from one, uh, well, from D and D or Pathfinder to just a different D twenty system. Um, like I've got D twenty Modern on my shelves, and uh, it's when you open it up, all your base stats are really, really similar. It's really easy to just kind of slide right into it, um, and that is a huge benefit to it because you get an immediate kind of. Uh, theme change, immediate rule set change, but you're still working off of the base system. Yeah, and again, going back to what you were saying earlier, if you're learning the rules as you go, a lot of the rules are just kind of inherent. I know that if I need to do something, I'm going to roll this 20-sided die, right? Mm-hmm. There's still a lot of D20 systems out there, but this will help you narrow down your search if that is a if that's a key criteria for you. Yeah, at very least it gives you something to pop in a Google. So what what else should we be considering, Daniel? Well, I think a, a big thing is uh if you're looking for something like we talked about before that's a little bit lighter on the rules or more crunchy. Uh like mm-hmm. D&D 3.5. Uh, for those of you who have played now I don't have experience with with first edition or AD&D. Um but what I do know is that 3.5, the, the character options, the spell options, the magic item options, the, there's so much stuff. There's a lot of math involved. It's, it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I realize I'm not selling it good, but I love it. I love 3.5. <laughs> so much math. I, but, uh, and it, but it's just a lot to, to kind of grab hold of. Um, it's, it's really like a beast you got to wrangle down because there's so much stuff involved. Um, and I think Pathfinder, Pathfinder is pretty similar to 3.5. Um, yep. pretty sure it's almost, almost identical, not quite. Uh, but again, so many options and it's a lot to look at. It's a lot to wrap your head around, especially during character creation. Um, more so if you have access to all the books, because there's, I don't, I don't even know. Once I printed off a full list of wizard spells and there were three columns on double sided pages and there was like 18 pages. And it's really small text. And it was just the name of the spell. There were so many. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) Now, I I will say that one of the advantages of playing a game by a company like Paizo, um, who publishes Pathfinder, um, but if you were looking at at going into an Adventures in Space and you wanted to do Starfinder, which I think does a better job at at being more than just Pathfinder in space, uh, but the advantage there from a financial perspective is they, is they publish pocket editions, exact same content as in the regular edition, but it's a soft, soft cover and it's a little bit smaller book and it's a, it's a, a quite a bit less, um, price wise. So 
if you're looking to do it on a budget, that is an option that that allows you to um, get more source books for less money. Um, now, I don't know if any other game publishers do something similar to that. I know that, that Paizo does for all of the, the games that I've seen from them. Um, I don't know if other others do that. So it's something to, to look into. Um, I think the last time I looked, too, uh, Paizo had a lot of stuff on their website, just free access. Yep. Yeah, something else to, to look for is uh, if it's if it's the uh, uh, open source uh, role playing game license, then then there could be places where you can where you can access and download a lot of the core rules for no cost, or maybe all of the rules for no cost. Mm-hmm. It, it'll make a huge difference. Yeah, but back to the kind of rules lighter, more crunchy. <laughs> We're getting a little of a sidetrack there. Um, you may be looking looking to to go from a, from a three point five D and D to something simpler, or you could be looking for something that's like that because that's what you liked about that system. Whatever it is, just keep that in mind as you as you look through um, the source books and and try and figure out what you're going to play. Is is understand that every rule set's a little bit different, and some are going to be more crunchy and, and allow you to do a lot more customization, and some are more about just getting started and going uh, with playing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so next, um, it, go, it goes kind of back to the, the financial thing we were talking about. Do you want something that can be played with a book or two, or is uh, or do you care if there's a significant investment for you as the DM uh, with, with systems that have dozens of books or, or something like that. Um, some may even have a single source. I've actually seen some indie games on the shelves here in Portland that are they almost like a pamphlet or maybe 20 pages long for, for the game. And they're super rules light, uh, but they kind of give you an idea of how to play the game. And there's not any add-on stuff. It's just a little pamphlet that you buy and go. Mm-hmm. And another cost that needs to be considered um, and this isn't obviously a mandatory cost, but some DMs will spend much more money on uh, maps and minis and, and things like mm-hmm. that. And if you're doing a straight up switch from medievalry to space travel, um, how many of the things that you have already invested in um, are going to cross over? You know? Or do you care? Or do you care or, if they cross over? Or do you over? care? And that's <laughs> like you might have to move to a more theater of the mind thing, um, unless you're like, no, that's okay. I can spend another thousand dollars. That's fine. I just will just throw that over there, and then fine, go for it. But it is something to consider um, if you do play a very visually um, heavy representative game. Yep, and and kind of to that. Um, do you want to use a published setting for a game system or just a new set of rules? Are you going to create your own setting kind of thing? Because if you want a published setting, that is going to help determine what what game you're going to going to want to to look further into. Because some games are just going to be rule set and say like, "Hey, it's set in the post apocalyptic European theater." Um, thinking back to Twilight two thousand. Uh, some will have a lot of work into like Galarian, the Forgotten Realms, um, all of the, these other places. So if, if that published setting is important to you, if you don't want to do a lot of thinking in your game about where it happened because you've got all the stuff in the books already, um, that is something to look into when you are uh, when you're deciding on a on a system. Absolutely, it's as especially if you. Uh, I've I've had a lot of requests to do a space um space game and mm-hmm. 
I am not like I like sci-fi movies and stuff, but I I don't I don't I don't think in sci-fi if that makes sense. And so like naming all these things and thinking of these spacey places, it's just not really something I'm super capable of. Um, so I would absolutely need to go buy a published setting. Um, mm-hmm. But that's my players really want that, and I would love to run around with some aliens and stuff. That would be cool, but um, I would definitely need that to supplement me for for my weaknesses as a DM. So just something to consider. I would have to look for a system that has them. Well, or you could look for a system that's based upon something that was already part of pop culture. So I, I mentioned the Star Wars role-playing game before. If you've got that role-playing game... Yes, they they have the setting built out, but you can also just be like, yeah, I, I know the movies well enough. I can I can throw a Tatooine in there with a with a Hoth with, and I'm not going to remember anything other than the original trilogy because I have <laughs> I'm just not. <laughs> but but you can you can very easily throw in kind of some of the setting details from the movies that you've watched. Um, I was also think of like Robotech, which is really set in the solar system for a good portion of it. So. Uh, uh, but yeah, if you if you need something published, keep that in mind as you as you make your consideration. Yes, absolutely. Um, speaking of the the published settings or the new set of rules, is is whether you want the published setting or you just want the rules because you don't have to go for something with a published setting. It can yep. just be a rule book or those little pamphlets you talked about earlier. Because I have seen one of those pamphlets before. It was literally just a sheet of paper that was trifolded. And here you yeah. go. <laughs> well, and likewise, since we're talking about published settings, um, do you need published adventures? Because I know not everybody likes to uh, to create their own adventures and campaigns. They want to they want to use something published because it's there, it works. They know that it's been vetted, and they don't have to worry about did I set this this encounter correctly. It just works. And and so if you if you want to have a published adventure, um, that's another thing to consider because for an indie game like the pamphlet game, you're <laughs> probably not going to have that. Uh, you're probably <laughs> going to have to have something that's maybe more established that has its own ecosystem that they're that they're either building their own uh, published adventures or they have an ecosystem of other publishers that build uh, build adventures for them. Yeah, and that comes down to their player base. Well, their creative player base, anyways, is yep. uh, people who are excited about this, whatever this system is, and they're pushing out this uh, this content for you to read and use and uh, maybe even buy. I'm not sure. But, um, but if you're buying something from Tom down the street and you're the first person to ever get your hands on it, you're not going to be able to find published adventures for it. And uh, if that's something that that you really lean towards, um, that might put a damper on your on your activities. Unless Tom Co built one already, <laughs> that's true. You would, you'd have to ask Tom when you picked up the core rule books if he also had an adventure <laughs> core pamphlet. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, and and also when you think about published adventures, that is another cost you need to consider. As you're um, as you're going through there, because if it's if it's published, there's probably going to be a cost associated with it. Now, it may be a, a low cost if you've got someone like uh, Drive Through RPG that that has adventures that they've published for it. It could be a couple dollars, 
Or if it's an actual bound published book, it could be twenty, thirty dollars. Mm-hmm. They they can definitely vary in cost, and that cost will directly translate to your wallet. Um, depending on, and that's another thing is you can look up the published adventures for the systems. You, like if you're de- deciding between two, and yep. you look at one, and you're like, oh, okay, if I get Vampires of Hoth, that's that's twenty dollars an adventure, and if I get I don't know, Werewolves of Tatooine, that's that's two dollars <laughs> an adventure, right? <laughs> okay, now I I think we're I think we're, we're I think you're onto something here, Danielle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vampires of Hoth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, the kind of one of the other things that you need to consider as you're as you're looking at this is is how long are you going to play the system? We talked a little bit about this before about whether you should adopt something or not, but it also comes into play if you if you've decided you're going to adopt something and and you're looking at systems because if you're going to play it for six months, the the thought process is going to be different than if you're going to play it for several years because six months, you don't have to worry about the longer term, we'll use the, the term again, ecosystem. Um, you also don't probably have to worry as much about buying a bunch of different source books to expand all the character creation options. Um uh, and and but you do need to worry about is this rule set going to be so complex that by the end of the six months I still don't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so and then finally also it's going to help you determine based upon the pricing uh, what what you might do there right. Yeah, abs- the time the timeline that you intend on interacting with the system it it probably. I guess not necessarily, but it probably will determine a huge aspect of what you're willing to to spend on it. Because um, that, if if you buy 14 books and you know that you're only going to be playing it for six months, not a lot of that is going to actually become usable source material. Yep. So I think that's pretty much what we wanted to cover today. Uh, as I said earlier in the episode, if you're interested in hearing us talk and, and give you our thoughts about some uh, other systems outside of the D&D and Pathfinder world, let us know. And if so, we'll, we'll include that as ideas for, uh, for future, um, future episodes. Um, so we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, stay, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.